0: Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 8, Into Exile. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 of Season 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, if you're already on the way with us, welcome back. I've missed you, friend. Here is today's story. Wrath is a strong word. I hope that by now you see that, even though wrath is bandied about willy-nilly in association with me, it takes me a very long time to get to that point, and when I do, it's because it's the only option left. It has taken us centuries to come to a moment of wrath with our children. Yet even that is tempered with mercy, and with the hopeful prospect of a future remnant. Nebuchadnezzar, on the other hand, tempers not his temper, and pours his wrath out upon Jerusalem and Zedekiah for his foolish resistance. Yet even as he does so, Nebuchadnezzar is acting in accordance with the contract with which we and the kings and people of Jerusalem are bound, satisfying our obligations outlined within the covenant. Obligations triggered and contractually required by the people's failure to abide by, or even make the attempt in many cases, the covenant. Once again, if we are going to remain righteous and holy, and we must, lest the universe be unmade, we are bound and required by the mutually agreed upon covenant with our people to allow its stated consequences and penalties to run their course the covenant that had not bound our people to behavior half as much as it bound them in relationship, exclusive relationship, with me. Nebuchadnezzar does not extend the mercy of execution to Zedekiah, but rather sentences him to something far worse. The Babylonian king forces Zedekiah to watch the execution of his own sons, then blinds him immediately afterward so that his final memories of sight are those of horror and misery, and the reminder that Zedekiah has brought it all upon himself, his family, and his people. Judah's last king lives out his life in blind exile, a living parable of the fatal results of his defiant lack of vision, 2 Kings 25, 1-7. Then the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar is turned toward the city itself, and Jerusalem is burned to the ground. Whatever is left of worth is looted from the temple. Then our home is set ablaze, along with the king's house, then every house of any substance in the city. The city walls, already breached, are further dismantled and broken to pieces." Peasants who owned nothing and had survived the siege are released and given the surrounding abandoned fields and vineyards, but anyone still in the city of any value is carried into final exile in Babylon. The handful of priests and officials still in Jerusalem, however, are executed. There were no such executions eleven years earlier at the time of the first exile under Jehoiakim. He humbly submitted to Nebuchadnezzar, and as a result the lives of thousands were spared. Yes, they were punished and moved from their homes to a strange land, but their families were intact and their lives went on. However, because of Zedekiah's foolish, prideful stubbornness, citizens of the ilk that had simply been exiled under Jehoiakim. Feel the consequences of Zedekiah's rebellion and are killed this time around, just as the prophets had warned, just as Jeremiah has spent his career doing everything in his power to prevent. The King in his selfish arrogance has thought so little of the people that he has spent their lives on false power. He may have felt he was a match for Nebuchadnezzar for the brief time between the outset of Judah's rebellion and the fatal end of the siege it triggered, but he has paid for that fictitious feeling of non-existent strength and independence with the lives of his sons and of his people. That he has done so with so callous and cavalier a heart, ignoring clear and constant warning of the danger into which he was placing his people, is reprehensible and sadly parabolic, a stark lesson of how one's behavior does not exist in a vacuum, but instead ripples out and affects and even destroys innocent lives next to you. Oh my, there is so much in all of this, friend, so many things to pick up and examine and ponder and learn from. In many ways, this final moment of exile is that which a majority of the owner's manual is ultimately concerned, even from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve are exiled from our presence in the Garden of Eden, they serve as a template for all of humanity in all time, but especially for this moment in the life of Israel. Our covenant with the first couple was a far simpler one than that in which we are bound to the now exiled nation of Israel. The Adams had but a single command to follow, in contrast to the sprawling law of Moses. However, the outcome is the same with the Adams as it is with all Israel, as humanity transgresses and by virtue of the nature of our universe must be sent away. The entire journey we have been on with our children has not all been for nothing by any means. Look back on it all in your memory, how we called Abram and set the Abra plan in place, then built his family into a nation while in Egypt, then delivered them with wonders. We then set our children's identity and pledge ourselves to them in covenant at our mountain with Moses officiating the marriage, if you will. Then, in case you missed it, is another exile episode as they wander in the wilderness as a consequence of their startlingly immediate disobedient lack of faith. Two believed, though, Caleb and Joshua, by their example and leadership and the loss of the faithless through attrition, the nation catches its vision and faith again, launching into the land I have promised them. Then, though the chronicler in particular is keen on your seeing their shortcomings as the beginning of the downhill slide to exile, after a bit of a false start with Saul, the kings of Israel complete the promised land under our leadership. In a shining moment on the way, we link ourselves and the Abraplan to David, so that now, even as all the nations are blessed through Abraham's offspring, there will be someone from amongst David's offspring enthroned forever overseeing it all. But Solomon, in all his glory, surpasses decency and covenant with his thousand wives, then his son Rehoboam surpasses common sense and the advice of wise counselors, and the kingdom is rent in two as a consequence of stubborn pride. In case we've not yet hit you over the head with it quite enough, the common theme of downfall-triggered consequence and exile is always that very thing, stubborn pride. The cascade of faithless prideful kings in the north reaps their early exile at Assyria's hands early being a relative term as we let generations go by and delay covenantal judgment as long as possible while time is taken to send prophet after prophet to warn Israel of their danger. Prophets like Elijah, Elisha, Micaiah, Amos, and Hosea. Then the heroic, faithful efforts in Judah of a handful of kings like Hezekiah and Josiah and of an even greater number of prophets as the Chronicler reminds everyone at the outset of his brief scathing summary of Jerusalem's end, Second Chronicles thirty-six fifteen to 21 all their combined efforts are not enough to keep the nation on the way. Generations of betrayal, infidelity, and transgression finally catch up with Judah, and they are first simply moved out and away with Jerusalem left behind but intact. But then, as we have just seen, those that remain are either forcibly removed or destroyed along with the city. Although these are sweeping developments on a much larger scale, there is much that speaks to you and your life, though your habitat is quite far removed. We have, through it all, tried to help you see how your steps on the way follow in those of long ago. The exile is no different and represents an historic climax, undesired yet useful in helping you work out your own way. So how does what's just happened to Judah and Jerusalem and Israel before them speak into your life? Obviously, one of the biggest points to it all is that eventually the time will come, the time when it will all catch up with you, An exile of one form or another will take you. All the stubborn pride of self-reliance, of taking what you want instead of waiting for it, no matter the effect on those around you, of turning your back on me and trusting in the idols of your age to define and defend you from the things chipping away at you, body and soul. There are as many exiles available as there are idols to which you can yield yourself. If you're polluting your body with that which breaks it down, be it legal or illegal substance, alcohol, cholesterol, fat, or sugar, though I have designed and given you an exceptionally resilient corporeal home, there is only so much from which it can recover. Mistreat your body and push it far enough, and it will fail and surrender to the exile of death. Then, of course, are the behaviors that do so much harm to others that they are statutory crimes in your habitat. If you've somehow managed to get so messed up as to be walking in that path and have yet to be stopped, you soon will be. If you've ridden the downward spiral to the point of criminal behavior, it will lead to the exile of incarceration. Finally, If you're polluting your soul with that which injures and defiles it, be it an ego the size of Montana, the need to always be right or approved of, or a penchant for gossip or pornography, there is only so much of this stuff from which you can recover. Push and pollute your soul far enough, and you will be lost to an exile so distant it cannot find its way back to me. If, however, you will open your ears and eyes to the prophets I am most certainly sending your way. For Pete's sake, you're listening to this, aren't you? Prophets who are calling, nudging, whispering, urging you, just as they urged Israel long ago, to step out of the stupor of whatever is polluting you, body and soul, then you can truly let us restore your life to you back on the way. First, though, you've got to raise your head out of the fog, realize the mess you're in, and call for help. Believe it or not, that's the easy way. I love you too much, though, to wait forever for you to get around to this, especially when it's clear you're not going to have an epiphany on your own. That's when discipline comes to the rescue. That's right, rescue. The purpose of discipline is not simply to punish sinful behavior. It is to save you from it. It is not simply to make you feel bad about what you've done. It's there to knock some sense into you, providing you with a moment of perspective in which you can turn to me and learn to avoid similar fatal choices in the future. The best approach to discipline is to receive it. We are speaking solely of actual, discipline from me, not abuse disguised as discipline. Acknowledge your culpability and take your lumps. This is the example Jehoiakim sets for you. And though life as he knew it is gone for good, he and his people live to see another day, and year, and lifetime. By contrast, Zedekiah sets the opposite example of how not to respond to discipline, buck and rebel against it, and its consequences will worsen dramatically. Lest there be any doubt about this, Jeremiah speaks some of his most cherished words to those in exile, urging them to accept their punishment and, in fact, to take full advantage of the situation in which they find themselves. He sends one of the most famous letters ever written to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jeremiah remains behind, unscathed in Jerusalem, even after the second exile. We would very much like for you to read this missive yourself in Tom, as it does have much to do with you and your habitat. That's Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. Now would be the perfect time. You've likely heard a single sentence quoted over and over in there, and I really, really want you to see its full context. That's Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. So badly do I want you to read that. We'll take a very long break now, and see you again next week on The Way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support us, spread the word. Give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share a link to episode one with your friends. We hope our time together today has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way and be good to yourself.